Hey, everybody, it's time to roll for intent with the Creator's Corner. We are back with our second episode of Impossible Lands, and it's going to be a doozy for you. But before we even get into that, how are you doing today, Trevor? Good. We did the run fest yesterday, so I'm kind of tired. It was a long day. Kids dug it. You know, we don't get a ton of those in my area, and I've never been to one. Always wanted to go. We do get some, but every time they're happy, it's like in the middle of harvest, and I can't go. How about you? Oh, I've been doing good. I've been having a lot of fun getting getting stuff all published up for our West Marches game. Just trying to plug away at that. It is a massive endeavor, so I'm happy that... Oh, yeah, there's always stuff going on for that. I wish I could wish I had the, the bandwidth to run more of them. Yeah, I just I ran a game, got three going this coming up weekend for Thanksgiving weekend and just finished a 10 page source book for our settings. So got that out to the people. So we're chugging along. So very cool. But you know what? We're here for something else. We're here to talk about the impossible. Impossible lands. And I think today we're going to kind of mosey on through the regions uh, that we are presented with in this book and specifically the mechanical aspects of the regions. We're not going to go into a deep dive on lore because that's not what we're here for. You want that? Go talk to We'll come to Liam at Cardinal Adventures or something. He'll, he'll get you that lore dive. We're not here for that. You want all that lore, you buy the book. <laughs> That's right. But you want to hear about the, uh, the mechanics associated with the lore? Got you. Every single region has a section at the end of detailing equipment, uh, feats. There are some archetypes, uh, lots of fun stuff. There's even a uh, gunslinger way, so you got class options available at the end of some of these, these areas. We finally get some magical tattoos. So let's just jump right on into it. We wanted to do that last time, and we ended up going like an almost an hour talking about the ancestries from here. <laughs> Oof. So first off the bat, we have Alkenstar. And I will say the art in this book is really great. And Paizo always does such a good job with the art. But you have the, the first page when you turn to the Alkenstar section, it looks just like, you know, this a little less magical steampunk, but it is, you know, there's these giant gears. There's some rat folk having a conversation. You have a bunch of factory workers on top of a roof. You see guards armed with guns wandering the streets. It, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, this chapter is peppered with dirigibles and lots of fun, very Victorian steampunk fantasy stuff. So if that is your jam, this, this region and this section of the book is going to be really up your alley along with things like Outlaws of Alkenstar or Headshot the Rot, which are two adventure path and a one-shot adventure, respectively, that are set in the Duchy of Alkenstar. And inextricably tied to it is something called Dongan Hold, which is a uh, dwarven sky citadel uh, that is a close partner with Alkenstar. I said we weren't going to go too into the lore, but it's kind of important to realize why there's so many dwarves in the Alkenstar region and why a lot of uh, technology is, is coming from like dwarven technology coming from the sky citadel. So you have that like hub of advancement along with this hub of innovation of Alkenstar as well uh, that kind of work together in the Mana Wastes region where it's kind of low magic. So it's got to be high technology. And, you know, it's not that many people. I'm looking here, settlement level 14. It's only got 4,164 population. That's not that many. Which is expected. It's the mana waste. It's the middle of nowhere. This is true. But after every little section, and it goes about, it tells you about the people and, you know, all the stuff that you would expect and are used to. But I think, I don't remember if Mwangi did this, this whole little player section at the end of each of these little chapters. I can't remember either. I was so focused on the ancestors in that book, and that was before we were reviewing things for content that I was just pulling out the stuff that I needed for my games. And I have not read all the way through that one. Yeah, I don't feel like they did, but maybe they did. I'm sure someone will yell at us if they did. Oh, I'm sure. I expect it at this point. So under the Adventuring in Alkenstar equipment section, we have Alkenstar Ice Wine, which is kind of interesting. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a, a huge in-game effect. It really is wine, per se. Right, it just gives you the effect that wine would give you. It's just a regional varietal, uh, which is important because they talk about that as being a big export of Alkenstar. So it makes sense that they put it in the equipment, right? They're going to talk it up, put it in the equipment listing. I do wish there was something that differentiated it mechanically, uh, but eh, whatever. They have the plated duster, which is honestly kind of a light armor attachment. It improves your light armor. It is this duster fitted with metal plates. And you wear it with light armor, and it improves the armor, but then it also makes the check penalty worse, it makes the dex cap worse, but and adds two to the strength. So it's kind of, and it technically makes the armor medium. So it's kind of an interesting little thing here. I'm not, I will say, I'm not actually 100% sure on what we're doing here with this, as it's turning it into medium armor in a sense of like, okay, pick up the medium armor. And because it says it is now medium armor, I'm, it just says, and it says you use the uh, proficiency bonus appropriate with this adjusted armor type. So if you're not proficient with medium armor, you know, I just don't understand it. it to, to be frank, it's very cool. I love the concept, but the fact that it turns it into medium armor from light, I'm like, well, this isn't better than any medium armor, so <laughs> I'm just not quite following it. I think it's kind of like the armored skirt. It is effectively the armored skirt, so like it would take medium armor to heavy armor. So it would work out well for like maybe you begin a game, and this is a level zero item, so maybe you don't have enough money at your start 
to get full medium armor or the medium armor that you would want. Necessarily. I guess that's true. We are in the you midway, so yeah, this is a super cheap thing. So right, it's only too cool. Um, I think it's cool too. I think it's thematically cool. It fits with the setting. Oh, yeah, no, it's cool. Hell, I really liked it. Oh yeah, I, I could see me putting it on a character just for thematic reasons. Maybe dropping it on one of my uh, many thaumaturges. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> we have a pocket watch. Um, just helps keep time, uh, which makes sense. We're steampunky. Let's use, let's use all the gears that we can. And there's something that's a wrench gear. Think of it like a it's a sonic screwdriver. Well, it's it's insanely specialized though. It is because it gives you plus two item bonus to disable device checks made against clockwork creatures. So this is an insanely specialized item. So while it's an item level three, it gives you a plus two bonus. Only basically attempting to wind down clockwork creatures. Works so really well in the right in the right campaign. Oh no, absolutely, and that's why it's a you know, a regional tool for sure. Uh, coming up next in this is I think the thing that you were most excited to find in this book, right? Yes, uh, there is a new animal companion here called a water wraith, and it is this very cool looking eight legged uh basilisk looking and by that i mean like an earth basilisk it's got a sort of a frail it's this very pretty blue color but the thing that honestly stood out the most to me with this creature is this is kind of the first creature that is really it's a step up from your normal animal companions in the fact that you know it's got it's all the standard animal companion stuff it does have a little less hit points it starts with six as a small creature which is pretty common uh the jaws d8 claws d6 and they're agile and the support benefit is you know until starting your next turn each time you hit a creature with the water within the water race reach the creature is dazzled for one round so okay nothing stupendous there but when we get to the advanced maneuver gulp blood it is a single action, and it has a requirement that your last action was a successful jaw attack against a foe. If you hit with that successful action, you just get to spend one action. There is no attack roll. There is no anything. You gain 2d8 temporary hit points and deal 2d6 persistent bleed damage to the target of that hit. So you heal, your, or I'm sorry, your animal companion heals, and you add 2d6 persistent bleed. And once your animal companion gets a specialization, this jumps to 3d8 temporary hit points and 3d6 persistent bleed. This is a huge power boost to a animal companion because you're essentially adding 3d8 heal and 3d6 persistent bleed for a single action and they only you know they get two actions so it's standing there in a fight then this thing's actually a pretty impressive foe honestly this thing's pretty cool i guess we want to actually make a ranger or something for the first time yeah i I personally have felt that animal companions were a little on the weak side which is fine for what they were and the fact that anyone can get them with like the beastmaster or the beastmaster but i still felt there should maybe be souped up animal companions that maybe require a few extra feats to gain access to them but this one's really cool this to me is a kind of a definitely something if you want that more combative animal companion to get up in a fight and hang with your ranger this is the one i mean that healing 2d8 or 3d8 if you're already on a foe attacking it that's that's pretty great we also add a uh, gunslinger way in here as well i don't know a huge amount about gunslingers i've never really built one they've never been my thing right um but this looks to be one that really is supposed to make use of combination weapons it's called a trigger brand and there are special trigger brand weapons but it's supposed to be uh meant for something that is in melee re- range mostly and can extend into range if they want to I, like i said i don't have the mechanical knowledge of a gunslinger to go in and really talk to how well this works out but from what i've read from uh, other people there have been some mixed opinions but i think that'll kind of get sussed out a little bit more as people are able to play with it and actually see how well it works from a fifty thousand foot view not knowing a huge amount about gunslayers it seems neat uh but i'm gonna have to build one eventually and see what it plays like yeah i read through it a little bit and i i kind of agree in the sense a little lackluster i don't see this is certainly being anything i don't know the original the original set of paths for the gunslinger seem far more interesting to me than this one but again this is kind of a like everything in here very regional so i, I get it if you you've done those options and you're looking for something to just be have more flavor and do stuff so I, it didn't strike me as you know horrible i just as i'm in the same boat as you i'd never play gunslingers i probably will maybe play one maybe and yeah not looking for anything fancy with it so i always found that combination weapons were poorly served by gunslingers anyway because it feels like a fighter would do much better with them anyway but that's me i think a fighter with like a you know one of those uh axe blunderbusses oh yeah does a lot better job with that as like a free-handed fighter that can actually move into range if they have to than a gunslinger that's a range that has to go into melee and it's kind of squishy and doesn't have heavy armor and stuff so you do what you will with it but for my money combination weapons are great for fighters uh we do have a pretty amusing archetype in here the shield marshal this is so very orwellian it's really yeah, weird no, i love I it. Like the, it the fourth level feat is you called consolidated overlay panopticon panopticon has like holy crap but yeah you volunteer for a controversial experimental procedure to install a clockwork prosthetic eye <laughs> yeah and the, it, you essentially relay stuff back to headquarters and they give you, you benefits when you use it 
So yeah, it's it's dystopian. It's really weird. But these are the guard forces of Alphastar. You can go ahead and build a character as a guard. It's it's interesting. You know, you get society and courtly graces, and you have something called uh, surge time. Uh, I think is what they're calling it. But you can essentially turn it on for a certain amount of time. It gives you benefits to a few of your. Yeah, like the prosthetic eye, you supercharge it, and for the next minute, you gain dark vision and low light vision, right. and a plus one status bonus to perception checks, visual perception checks. Works out well for a lot of these ancestries in this book, which last time we had a conversation about this book, we noted that only one of them has dark vision. So it's a good way to get it through an archetype. For this is it. true. Our next little, I think this is an island, isn't it? Bopan? Yeah, Bopan. This is um, Zootopia on steroids. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fey influence in Bopan as well. So it's, it's um, they're primarily human. Almost everybody has some, some fey blood or uses some fey magic in some way. It's, I think it's more like Fern Gully than Zootopia, honestly. Yeah, that's probably fair. The, each one of these sections, when it talks about the nation, there's a, a part that says the peoples, and it tells you all the ancestries that are found there. This one is B-Skin Fae and Fae Touched Humans. That is all. <laughs> I mean, I think it looks real neat. I mean, we've had conversations off air about how much I like Fae in the game and like the amount of GMing opportunities and RP opportunities that are afforded to you by having access to some sort of capricious creature whose motives are otherworldly. So you can do a lot of fun trickstery stuff with them um, and have really crazy motives. Uh, and I really enjoy being able to do that as a player or as a GM. So I need to get into this, this location a little bit more because I feel like it would really take a few of my boxes, honestly. There is also a full bona fide recipe in this section, too. <laughs> yeah, what, what is that? Is it like a cake or something? Yeah, babinka, a layered dessert. Gives you all the ingredients you need and tells you how to prepare it. That is neat. Think, I think I've seen a couple YouTubers that have done that already, have, have made this. Yes, I know. Uh, when we had Liam on, he was talking about, he was doing some of the, the cooking sections from some of the books, and it was, he said he's having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, we have a, a picture of a, a little green carriage being drawn by, it looks like these cicadas or something. There's like four of them, gigantic, pulling it along. There's just such cool art in here. Next, we have, I don't know, some, she's petting this weird octopus hermit crab thing. With, she's, she's way out there. She looks very cool, though. Yeah, there's a lot of fae and gremlin looking things in this art. So I love the fae gremlin with the giant head and the, and the knife. It, it just, it's great. It's so weird and sinister looking. It's got a third eye on its forehead. I'm digging it. I'm digging the fae stuff, man. This one under the adventuring section is actually has a lot of Bokanese dance feats. That's, we're pretty cool there. There's uh, various things, like the first one's a stance, and it is rare, but it is for either a bard, a rogue, or a swashbuckler. Right, all of these Bokanese dance feats come from this Masquerade of Season stance that uses as a requirement, and you have to be in the stance uh, for you to be able to use the benefits of the feat. So I'm all down for more stances. Stances are fun. It's actually very powerful in the sense that it's a level four feat, and you choose one of the following traits, water, fire, negative, or cold, and you gain resistance five to damage dealt by those effects with the chosen trait. Uh, you can get a reaction to level six that, um, that pirouette. pirouette. <laughs> so it's, it's like a dodge. It's like a nimble dodge. So it's a plus two circumstance bonus to AC against a triggering, triggering attack. And if it misses you, and if it misses you, you can step. If it hits you anyway, uh, it does damage reduction equal to half your level. Neat stuff. I mean, seems like a no-brainer if you're going to go for a dance-themed character. Yes, that actually is really cool, because these all of these follow-up feats, they have a requirement that you are in the Masquerade of Seasons stance. So I really like that concept that you have these feats that you know are companion feats to the one you've already taken, and you gain more powerful abilities for it. The level 8 one gives you an airwalk, 45-degree airwalk up to your speed, so that's also very fun. Anything that gives you access to some sort of flight is a win in my book. Uh, next, we have Fey Influence. and More Fey Influence, mind you. Yes, we already had Fey Influence. We get more stuff. This is true. I was always kind of disappointed with Fey Influence. Like, I like the idea of putting in a character, but the mechanical benefits weren't that great. Some of these are, are a little bit cooler. Like, there's one that lets you cast Ill Omen as a, in a spell. That is fun. And, yeah, these are really cool. And this one, this is a fifth-level feat available to any ancestry. And you become trained in Primal Disease and Spell Attack rolls. You gain a Fey trait based on one of the following features, and it grants an innate Primal spell that you can use once per day. And there is Anteater, Cat Sith, Cursed Bluebird, Dryad Fawn, Gremlin, Monarch, and Unicorn. I think we already had access to Anteater, Gremlin, Monarch, and maybe Dryad? I can't remember. I think there were four, but I do remember Gremlin, Monarch, and Anteater. But they're very cool. Giving you innate ability to cast heal once per day is pretty great to throw on something that normally couldn't cast a spell. And it's just an innate thing, right? Obviously, yeah, no, it, I like very cool. It's yeah. rare, so you're not going to be able to use it on every campaign, but it's fun. Yes, and I, I have played with a fair number of friends that would just die for their characters to have a unicorn horn and be able to cast heal. <laughs> yeah, and they got some uh, 
Additional feats that branch off of Fey influence. Once again, I love feat trees. I know that 2E has largely eschewed them uh, in favor of allowing you to be a lot more flexible. But whenever feat trees show up, I always love to see them and try them out in builds and test them in builds. And we get some feat trees. I don't want to get too much into it because we've been we've been really hammering in and we're 20 something minutes into this already. But Drain Emotion allows you to do a counteract check against an emotion effect. Fey Ascension takes whatever you got from Fey Influence and makes it more, right? It enhances whatever Fey Influence you've gotten. And Cannibalize Magic uh, allows uh, you to do, uh, to, to essentially drain one of your own magic items to benefit you for a certain amount of time. So like you can drain the power out of a magic item for a day in order to get a benefit. Following that, we have the Green Watch feats, which are uh, very similar to what we saw with the uh, Dance feats, where they are only available to a tiny handful of classes. The Green Watch feats are the same. They are available for either Gunslinger, Investigator, or Ranger. And you're, they're just feats that allow to add on, basically revolving around scouting. Yeah, they, they very seem to be themed around uh, themed around anti-fey police. Not necessarily anti-fey, but but in, people empowered to uh, police the fey. Essentially, they have things like defy fey and fey tracker, and you know, really, really on theme. You'd think that you would have to have people that were specialized in dealing with fey if you have an entire society that's mostly fey, right? Makes sense on theme. I love on theme stuff. Next movie down the list, the list we have Geb. One of the best art in this book are the undead and the cities of Geb. It is very cool. Tell man, the first or rather third, I think third art piece in the Geb section. Is this massive reptilian creature shredding something to pieces? Undead reptilian creature, there's just blood everywhere, there's arms flying. It's pretty gruesome. And a bunch of skeletons standing around a field picking up, sh- looks like straw or wheat or something. And <laughs> very, very idyllic setting. Gab is a land of undead. Um, there are not undead there, but they're primarily cattle. It's not a good place to be if you're a uh, sentient humanoid. Not at all. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it actually kind of sounds like a pretty interesting place in the sense that I actually like it. One of the sections in here they talk about in the cities that the problem is because the majority of inhabitants are undead, that you know, they only die when there is an accident or they are murdered, you know, they get crushed by something or what have you, that space becomes such an issue because you don't have, you, you just, you don't have people ever disappearing. A <laughs> uh, hundred people in a hundred years might turn into 90 people instead of zero. <laughs> and they go over a lot of settlements in here too. Uh, and it makes sense because, you know, the current adventure path that's being published is set in Geb. Uh, so it makes perfect sense that they would have a lot of stuff fleshed out, maybe stuff that's being used sparingly scattered about inside of the adventure path or things that like fell out of the adventure path, things that they wanted to include somewhere. So it makes sense. This is such a large section. It's one of the largest sections of the book. Uh, but it's great. All the art's great. Um, all the little bits that I've read about each individual city that differentiates them, uh, really, really fun stuff. Uh, and, and I really like uh, the stuff that they add at the end of the adventuring in Geb. Uh, because it's a lot of curses. And I oh, really yeah, like they, curses. Yeah, they go over how it's actually a form of their legal punishment is people get cursed because so many things are undead or what have you that, that you have to live with these curses for a period of time. And then they deem that you've either served your sentence and removed them or what have you. But yeah, it's, there's some pretty cool ones. Yeah, and some of them are just really cool for RP reasons. Yes, they, have, they impart a, a mechanical detriment to you like the curse of petulant whispers is really cool there's a disembodied voice that follows you around and tells everybody all the things you did wrong so it gives you a minus to diplomacy tech checks neat it's only a level two curse so it's easy to counteract when you get high enough level but it's a fun little thing that you can you know put on a player that for rp reasons they're like trying to hide some secret or something like that that can be really interesting for uh, rp reasons to bring that out if the character has a secret that they want to reveal in some way having them run afoul of the law somewhere and this get placed on them or this get placed on them by you know somebody that they run afoul of in general is a really cool way to do that story exposition in a way that makes sense within the world without feeling without it feeling tacked on really cool stuff yeah and i i'm a huge fan of you know classic you've broken into this tomb or you know defiled some burial site curses are so much fun for that and the curse of the rotting heart i saw this one i'm like oh my god i'm so going to use this one against players and you, if you fail the save you are harmed by positive energy as if you were undead you're also harmed by negative energy as if you were living so it doesn't matter if you're undead or not if you get this curse uh neither of them can heal you all forms of magic healing such as soothe only restore half the normal amount of hit points and alchemical healing and medicine checks and non-magical methods could heal you as normal. But this is this is a horrid curse for an adventurer. Yeah, it's a really good way for a GM to, I mean, not that, not that I endorse uh, aggressive and uh, combative GMing styles. There's a really good way to put the screws to a party that like doubles up on like a life oracle and a cleric and it's just like beating things through attrition. Oh boy, throw this one on their meat shield. Oh no, this is a level nine curse. So it's, it's not something you're throwing a low level adventurer. It's something that they'll probably be able to deal with with money and time and stuff. 
but it's really cool for the short time that's going to be on them and really cool being really crappy for your players and make them find uh, interesting ways to solve the problem. Yeah, if they don't know what they've gotten and they get turned, I'm going to heal you. Oh, sorry. You just did this much damage to him instead. Yep, I'm writing this one down. It's going in my playbook. And I actually don't feel bad about curses because of the way I use them in a sense. I use them as very protective measures and have them a little more free free form and available in the world. And like I said, if you're, you know, defiling tombs and grave robbing and things like that, then yes, you're getting curses. Those are those are the, the defense against those things. And I think they're very cool to throw slightly higher level curses at parties when they try to do that stuff. So I have there's no also, for them. There's also a couple more RP related curses. Like one is the Lord's Arrogance, where if you have this curse, uh, whenever you make a recall knowledge check, that would give you information. You also get a little bit of false information. So it's like you get dubious uh, knowledge on these checks. Even if you succeed, you crit succeed or something, you're going to get false information as well. And you're going to believe it without most certainty. I love the consummate liar. Whenever you're asked a question directly, you must attempt a DC 32 will save. It's level 14 curse. On a failure, you spout an obvious lie with an automatic failure at your deception check. I just love that. That would be so much fun to roleplay. I think it's so great. Um, and even if you succeed, uh, if you choose to answer truthfully, you deal mental damage to yourself as you answer truthfully. It's neat. You got spell catalysts. I know you love spell catalysts. Yeah, we got a bunch more. Yep, we've got a, a grave token. I'll hit that one. It's a level four item. It's a one action. And when you use a harm spell, it basically adds a reach spell to it. You, for that one action, you can use your one action harm at 30 feet and your two action harm at 60 feet. It has no effect on the three action if you found a way to use it that way. But yeah, there's quite a few here, so it makes sense because this is a very magical necromancy region, so you would think it would have a lot to do with harm spells, negative energy, things like that. We have some pretty cool magic items. The carrion cask, it's basically this little box that consumes a body. You can do this once per day, and then it gives you an action that you emit a 30-foot cone of negative energy damage, does 66, it's a level 8 item. And it's just kind of a fun thing. I actually really enjoyed the fact that it just consumes a body. Even if it only did that, I would probably pick it up, just because it's like, oh god, we gotta get rid of this body. I pull out my box, it's gonna eat it. So yeah, we've got quite a few fun items in here. There's the, uh, where are we? The palaquin of night, it's basically this folded sheet, and you unfold it, and it turns into a palaquin with four specters that carry you around. But they're very careful to say this does not work in combat situations at all. Yeah, and it protects you from sunlight, extreme heat and cold. Um, and blocks most non-damaging forms of weather. So if you're just like doing a long trek and you need some way to deal with intense heat or intense cold, uh, great for that. Uh, next on the list, we have the lands of Jelmeray. This was and, the one that I did not even know was a thing in the lore until I got this book. And just looking at the little, you know, the first page where it has that little breakdown of the people and the languages and that, there's a lot here. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ancestries here and gods and resources. It's a, it's a very interesting island. I guess this is supposed to be like a sort of like a Southeast Asian analog, perhaps. Uh, maybe some like, Indonesian area. I need to go through this section because, like I said, this is a section of of Galarian I wasn't familiar with before skimming through this book and, and seeing this. And this is the region that, like the Keshrishi are from, I believe, as well as the Vinaya, right? Yeah, this is sure one too, based on a lot of uh, monks and elementals, genikin, things like that. So it has, I believe, even its government is kind of based around these temples and beings searching for perfection and things like that. Speaking of which. We got some student of perfection feats from this. We have not section. some. We have a lot of student of perfection yeah. feats. <laughs> Which is cool, because I always thought the student of perfection archetype was really, really cool, but did not have enough in it to make me really want to get into it. And that has completely changed with this. This really makes me want to build a monk with student of perfection or just a fighter with student of perfection. So neat. Yeah, I was going to say, they've corrected that in this one. This one also has the adorable little Siru familiar, specific familiar. And it is a tiny blue elephant with horns that kind of come off the edges of its ears. And it is so freaking cute. <laughs> this is my new favorite familiar. Like, I really like the living shadow thematically. I think it's really cool. I love elephants. Like, for Christmas last year, my wife got me like a, and it went towards elephant conservation, got me like a special video thing from the elephant keepers at the Houston Zoo. And I really loved it. I'm really into elephants. I think they're great. So this is my new favorite familiar. And I want to make a witch with an elephant familiar now. It's so cute. And I will say I, this has a trend on it that I started doing with Beast Foundry stuff, but I very, very much hope they continue this. This is a familiar that if you picked up familiar mastering, even if you weren't a spellcaster, it gives you stuff in a sense that 
you, it is a specific familiar, so you have to have four abilities before you can take it, which I believe you usually start with that anyways, give or take. But uh, this gives you created magic, and you gain the Mage Hand and Guidance cantrip. And Guidance is a good cantrip. I mean, it is an awesome support cantrip. So even if you couldn't cast cantrips, you now have two cantrips. And if you can, you get to replace some of the ones on your list with these. So it's a really cool familiar because no matter what class you are, you could take this and gain an actual benefit. And I'm a huge fan of that. I, I think familiars that give the characters these tiny little benefits is really cool. This also gives you uh, a fortune slash misfortune effect that you can do once per day, which allows you to apply a fortune or misfortune at your convenience, uh, your direction. Uh, based on your class DC or your spell DC, um, you can essentially have the target reroll fortune or misfortune effect once per day. That's pretty powerful, I think, you know, um, for it to be either or, not just like an ill omen or something like that, where it's one. You do one or the other with no real repercussions. Very cool. And we also have a, a section of new weapons here that ultimately I wasn't, I didn't see anything super special here for the most part. It's more theming, right? If you want a character that has this theme, you don't have to homebrew a weapon. Because I've seen that a lot, you know, where somebody wants a specific type of weapon because of a character concept. And they're like, well, just, you know, skinning us a short sword. And this gives you a little bit more. None of these are life-changing, right? Yeah, we have a, a six advanced weapons here. And they run, like all advanced weapons, I have a tiny bit of an issue with a lot of advanced weapons because, yes, they definitely have some more options than most of the martial. But these ones here, I just don't see anything that special. And to me, when I see an advanced weapon, I almost just skip over it because I know you're never going to use it. That The penalty to hit with that, unless you're a fighter 100% focusing on advanced weapons and that's going to be your your whole character is going after this one advanced weapon, then ah, the, the penalty is just too big to really play around with oh, them for me. Unconventional weaponry, if you're a human, can get it, right? Or if it's um, you know, racial, like an ancestral uh, Unconventional weaponry only allows you to take an uncommon weapon, not a advanced weapon. I believe. Right, but you can still take an advanced weapon that's uncommon, right, I believe? Right? Yes, but the problem is with advanced weapons is no one is trained in them except a fighter, and that trained level runs, to, you know, behind everything else they can do. And once they get a few feats, they can bring it up on par. But so basically, if you ever want to use advanced weapons, unless you're a fighter, you're, you're pretty much always going to take an extra minus two to hit from any other weapon you might choose. I know the ancestry uh, weapon feats will allow you to treat an advanced weapon as a marshal, so there is that. Yes, that is, the only, like that, yeah, that is the only thing where if they are ancestral weapons, there's a benefit there for you. But I think the Don Shock is pretty cool, but I like tethered throne weapons. I think they're neat because it's a, it's a tethered throne, 1d8 pull arm. Uh, I agree. But like the Callus, it is a 1d8 slashing sword. It's a deadly d8, uncommon and versatile. That's it. And I'm like, eh, not, to me, not super It's a short is, sword. But... It's, a, it's a long sword with deadly d8. No, it's a short sword with deadly d8. Wait, hold long on. Sword. No, it's a d8. It's a long sword with deadly d8. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Not worth it. And then, of course, we have the mile of student of perfection feats. Oh, my God. These go on for so many five pages, I think. <laughs> so, so cool. But then we got a Jalmari. I don't want to get too far into those. If, if you know what you're looking for, you know what you're looking for. It's really only five feats, and then you have the supporting focus skills that you get with those feats as well. The focus spells that you get. And after there, we jump into the Mana Wastes at large. I know we already hit Alkenstar, but they separate it, and the Mana Wastes are later. And it's they Mad are... Max. Yeah, it's it so is. cool. I love the art. It's like Knowles. Uh, the main art in this is Knowles, and they, they look like they've got some you know, scarring on them and whatnot, and there's some weird Eldritch monstrosity in the background. Everything looks very, very cool. And there's a whole section on Wellspring Surge chances for just casting spells, depending where you are in the Mana Wastes, that you have to roll a flat check. So if you are in the Mana Wastes, you basically will roll a flat check for, to, to trigger a Wellspring Surge, basically. And then there's critical, special critical failure effects. There's also some specific hazards to the well spread, some specific hazards to the mana waste, cracked earth, mana world, uh, spell pitchers, lots of really interesting things that, you know, you don't necessarily have to put in the mana waste, you probably find a reason for them to show up in your game in other places, uh, but very, very neat. Uh, I like having new interesting hazards that are just like falling rock trap, hole in ground, oh, look aside, you know, interesting stuff. Yeah, and it looks like gnolls, uh, lizard folk, and goblins play a, a large ancestral role in the mana waste, and the art, there's a lot of art of them, and it is pretty funny. <laughs> oh, I love the art. This is very cool. It's like, they really let the free flag, free flags fly when they wrote the art for this or did the art for this. But there's one where it's like a little tiny settlement and there's these giant looking sandworm things looming over it. Very, very, very apocalyptic. I am a fan. There's not a lot of stuff about adventuring in the Advanced Waste. We Actually, I don't think this one has this section. No, we have the hazards and then you have a little bit about um, mana vials, which are condensed uh, mana miasma. Um, and it's, like a, it's a bomb is what it is. It's, it's an alchemical bomb, essentially. It hits something and it forces a wellspring surge is what it does, which can be really awesome, really awful. So that's always fun. 
It's like having a deck of many things that you just randomly pull something out of. <laughs> the good old rod of wonder. Ah, uh, yes. And next, I think next. Next, next is next. next. Yeah, I was just going to say, next we have next. <laughs> next is pretty much um, Ar- Arcane Gulch Gulch, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, no, this is like a land of high magic. Like there high are... magic, low, uh, like low restrictions on magic usage. Crazy yeah, stuff. Every, all of the art from here is, you know, flying obelisks and wizards everywhere and just magical everything. The water's all rainbow colored in every picture. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, a, a magic land on steroids. There's oh, yeah. doorways oh, that you know, look like they're nothing but portals with creatures coming out of them. And it's, it's very cool. There's a piece of art in here that looks like three xenomorphs from Aliens doing a seance with somebody else. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I love it. I think those guys uh, were in, uh, introducing the Bestiary 3. I recognize them. Two or three. They're interesting. I don't know what they are. I've, I've never found Now I want to find one to make you guys fight it in the show. They, I think they actually aren't really designed to be combative enemies either. I think they love to trade. <laughs> they look horrifying and vicious, but they're not. It's really funny. There's a town in here, home of the Flesh Forged, Iconis. And the art for the town, it almost looks like there's just glops of gore all over the top of the, the city gates and the walls and stuff. Yes. And I think I was reading on this one that there's like an entire, like, section of the city where there was this failed experiment or something and it is like covered in this massive fleshy substance i think yeah, that's it's, this it's gross it's awesome and gross like i said it's 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 totally uh alchemy gone wild. it's totally magic gone wild anything goes there's no rules yeah this this is a very cool setting book in the sense that yeah if you want to have a absolutely insane adventure that you know covers everything like this is the place the impossible lands are where you want to play clearly <laughs> i mean if yeah, I mean, you, I just feel like you would be walking from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter to Star Wars all in one adventure. Now we're, now we're waiting for, uh, what is it, Numeria? Is where, the, where the, the spaceship crashed. Waiting on that book. Actually, I'm really not waiting on that book. I'm not a big fan of that setting. But you know what? I'm not everybody, so I'm sure somebody's going to love it. I was going to say, I'm sure there's plenty of people super excited for it. Oh, yeah, totally, man. The Black Prince stuff is neat. I love the lore around the Black Prince. I just don't like, I don't like lasers in my fantasy setting. That's me. I think down here. Oh, I've got to find the page. There it is. Adventuring in next. They have a lot of interesting stuff here. The there's old a level 25 back. magic item in here. Yep, and you know, a cube of force. I think people might recognize all the way back to basic Dungeons and Dragons. That has been around for a long time, and it is back here. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm not an old school D and D person, so this was a this was a new one for me. I think it's kind of neat. We also have the tattoos you were excited about. I have wanted some cool tattoos. Um, so there's one of them that lets you get hypercognition, which is fun if you're a lore class, like a, a, a or a lore class or just something that really likes um having high end skills or something. So investigator, rogue, um, a bard, anything that's going to be doing a lot of knowledge checks. Being able to cast hypercognition once per hour. Neat. This book has so much great stuff, and it keeps going in this section. There are several ooze-related items. There's a ooze alchemical bomb. I actually really like the oxygen ooze. It's an alchemical item. It's only level four, and basically it is this almost stick of green ooze chewing gum that you chew it up, and for the next hour, you can breathe through this gum that like covers your, your mouth and your nose, and you can breathe through in environments where you couldn't normally breathe, and then it harmlessly dries up and falls away. So, yeah, you can use it underwater. You can use it where it's poisonous. I mean, it's... This is such a really cool item, and for how cheap it is, it's like, yes, you can be sure as Mordrin's going to pick this up soon. Ooze pick is cool, too, because it allows you to get a lockpick that is a really good lockpick for a while. Yeah, you right? pour this little canister of ooze directly into a lock, and it forms and hardens into it, and it gives you a, a plus two bonus at, I think that's its, is that its, yeah, that's its first bonus, level four item. First bonus is plus two, and then it goes to a plus three at level ten. But yeah, the, the pick lasts for a hour, so if you're in a dungeon, it's, you know, this is going to help you out if you're in some area where there's a bunch of locks. It's not a, you know, a one and done type thing. It'll last for quite a while. Yeah, and level 10 will last for eight hours, so pretty much your majority of your adventuring day. I really like the implications of specially treated oozes for things. I think it's a really neat idea. Um, that could be used more uh, trader effects. So here's some design space, guys. I know we have the Ooze Folk and Galarian that he did a lot of stuff like that. Um, but this is another neat design space for creators, is these like treated alchemical oozes for accomplishing specific things. We also have some new um, incarnate spells. A ninth level summon ancient flesh forged, which is basically giant creatures just made of bone and flesh and there's several different ones that you can summon, and they do many different things. But there's a level 5 one. I think that's actually one of the lowest of the incarnate spells that I've seen, Summon Healing Servitor. And this one's just really cool. It, when it arrives, 
uh, all allies within 20 feet gain 20 temporary hit points. And then when it departs, it heals 3d8 hit points for all living creatures and undead take that much damage as well. So it's actually a really cool incarnate spell. I think that pretty much wraps it up for the regional items and gear and mechanics, though. We have a couple other sections I don't know that we'll do, do episodes on them. They're neat. They got a lot of cool, uh, we got a lot of cool creatures in here that are really, really neat. Um, we've got some additional feats for heritages like Flesh Warp and Sylph and the like. Some more Geniekin stuff. That kind of wraps it up, I think, for our adventure. Uh, one thing I just want to mention that I thought was really cool, they have a list of enemies by region that you can encounter. Uh, it's right before their little monster manual section. And I just thought that was a really cool thing. It's not a table. It's not a roll on this table. But it is just really cool that they, I love that. And that was just something that harkens back from the old days of D&D. If you're, you know, if you're in the forest, you're going to find these things. And I noticed in the recent decades, they've kind of moved away from that. Like, oh, anything could be anywhere. And I really enjoy the aspect of, oh, you're in Alkenstar. Here's a list of creatures that you are very likely to see while you are in Alkenstar. So I thought that part was really cool. And yes, it does also have a whole section. Uh, I think there's another dozen or so new monsters that are introduced in here. Uh, there's a, a bit where they talk about gods of the region. They're not new gods. Some of them might be new, but they just go over some of them in more detail. Urgotho is in there and some other popular ones. So this, this book has a lot to offer and it is such a fun read. It is a wild ride. And I do not think anyone picking this up would be disappointed with it. Oh yeah, there's something for everyone in here. You should buy this book if you haven't. You haven't bought this book? Yeah, go buy this book. It's so good. What are you doing? Go buy it. Stop. Stop what you're doing right now. Get on Paizo's website. Try really, really hard to buy it. <laughs> is that a dig at Paizo's website? I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just said people should try their hardest. You know, <laughs> I think that's worth doing is sometimes hard to do. <laughs> well, I think that about wraps it up for the week. We, again, we've gone long, but I, I think oh, we've done with long. the impossible lands. We, we've covered everything in a nutshell. And, like, and really, we have barely touched on the stuff in here. <laughs> all right. Well, as usual, I'm Christian. And I'm Trevor. And you all have a great week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>